0: Have you ever lost somebody who is near and dear to you? If you've lost mother or father, you know what I'm talking about. Particularly poignant is to have lost a mother like I have on Mother's Day. Or like my wife Leslie did a few years ago as I lost my mother-in-law and she lost her mother. If you've ever lost somebody who caused deep anguish, sort of a gut punch, sucked the life right out of you, you know what I'm talking about. If you still got your mother here today, hug her, kiss her, tell her how much you love her because you will miss her. But if you know that kind of deep-seated anguish and grief, that's kind of what the disciples were about to encounter for themselves. If you have your Bibles today, let's turn to chapter 14 of John's Gospel and look at verses 1 to 14. Chapter 14. Jesus begins in verse 1 today. He says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. A very picturesque word, phrase there. Uh, It's the same word for trouble in Greek that caused Jesus' heart to be agitated, to be stirred up when Judas went to betray him. It's the same word in Greek that he felt for Mary and Martha and their lack of faith when their brother Lazarus had died and they did not believe that Jesus could raise him up. Jesus' heart was agitated, it was stirred. It's the same word they use for the pool of Bethesda. Remember that healing pool in the New Testament where people would watch until the waters got stirred up and agitated and then they would go in for the healing? Troubled waters, agitated, shaken. Do not let your hearts be troubled in this way, Jesus is saying. If everything falls down around you, If life is just going a million miles an hour and not making much sense, don't let it get to your heart. Don't let it get to your heart. So what was the issue for the disciples? What did Jesus know was about to come that they couldn't fathom at this time? What was going to cause their hearts to be troubled? Well, we know that one of the last things he says in the last chapter, chapter 13, is this, verse 33. Jesus looked at them and said, Little children, Little children, yet I am with you just a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, my disciples, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus says to them, I'm about to die. I'm about to go away. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm leaving you. And what's going to happen to you is that grief and sorrow and loss are going to overwhelm your heart. If you don't, be careful. If you're not careful, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus was their everything. Jesus was their friend. He was their Savior. He was their Master. He's the one that directed their courses into ministry. He showed them where to go, how to do ministry, how to heal the sick, how to cast out demons, how to preach good news. He was their everything, and they're about to lose him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are called by scholars the farewell discourse of Jesus. They are words or lessons on goodbye. They are a teaching on how to handle life for a believer. That's why we read this passage at funerals every time we have one, pretty much, because it's a time of loss. It's a goodbye lesson. It's a teaching on how to carry on without Jesus. Jesus. How will they continue the mission? What will that look like? Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Trouble. Trouble has come. Trouble is come. And trouble will come again. It's almost the antithesis of the gospel. You're going to have trouble. Jesus says in chapter 16 later on, In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And in that word trouble something that's just part of human nature? I mean, do not let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a word all today, in the midst of this pandemic, when we don't know what the future is going to hold for us? We don't know our, what what our jobs will look like. We don't know about our family's health, our own health. We've got kids who are graduating from school and they can't attend their graduation. They've got to do it virtually. We don't know the future. Our retirement accounts. Where are our mortgage payments going to come from? Where are we going to get our rent payments from? Or when the church is going to come back together as the assembled people of God? And then what does that look like? How do we socially distance? Yeah, there's always going to be trouble, no doubt. Jesus said, let not your hearts, though, be troubled. Let not it, it sink into your heart. So one of the things that he's not saying is he's not just throwing out this pithy little saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Um, and then saying, okay, just chill out, don't worry about it. That would be a little bit like us saying, all right, all day long I'm just going to hum the tune, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy now, don't worry, be happy. You can't just leave somebody with a pithy saying unless you also give them the remedy for worry in our hearts. And the remedy for a troubled heart are found in three places today. The power of place, Jesus gives them this the power of a plan, and the power of prayer. Those three things. So let's look at the power of place. Remember that old sitcom, Cheers? One of my favorites. Lasted 11 years. Greatly popular. You remember some of the great characters that were written into that story? Sam Malone, the washed-up old baseball player. Diane Chambers, the would-be intellectual who is constantly overcome with insecurity and fear. Remember Cliff Clavin, that quirky, know-it-all postman, great guy. Remember Coach behind the bar, bar, that dim-witted, lovable, Yogi Berra-type guy. Remember Norm, the overweight guy who would come in to drown his sorrows every evening with a cold one, a refreshing beer. Wonderfully written, great characters, but here's the deal. The glue that held that show together, that made it so popular for so long, was not any one character. It was the place. It was the bar. It was the power of place. The bar was their home. It was the one place where they could go and all gather together in the midst of all their insecurities and eccentricities. And they could feel the warmth of love, of laughter, of joy. A place where they were accepted, warts and all. A place where their friendships were deepened and loyalties confirmed. Remember how the theme song went? Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see that our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name, the power of place. We all need a place like that, don't we? A place where troubles cease, where sorrows fade, where love surrounds. A place where we're known by name with our family, a place of peace. That's the power of place. Look at verse 1b. Look at the end of that verse. Jesus says this about the place. Believe in God, believe also in me. The remedy for troubles in the human heart is faith. It always starts with a belief in God, belief in Christ. Troubled hearts are almost always a sign of wavering faith. Troubled hearts are a sign of wavering faith. Remember, wasn't that true for Peter? The waters were turbulent that night. The storm had come. In fact, they were troubled waters, which is what we're talking about. Jesus says, get out of the boat. Look at me, Peter. Peter did that for about two steps, looking at Jesus with eyes of faith. Then what did he do? He looked down at the storm, took his eyes off of Jesus. His wavering faith caused him to sink into the sea. And isn't that true for us? When we take our eyes off of Jesus, when our faith wavers, that's when the hearts get troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in my Father. And Jesus says this in verse 2, If you believe in me and believe in the Father... In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place just for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says in verse 3, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. A place, the power of place, a mansion in heaven where love flows constantly. No more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. But it's not only the absence of everything that we don't like here on earth, it's the presence of everything that God wanted us to have in the beginning. A place uniquely fitted just for you and just for me. An extension on the Father's mansion, which will be the consummation of all of our longings, the fulfillment of all of our dreams. That's what Jesus is talking about. Where the Father's love is throughout the house. Yes, I'm going away, Jesus says, but don't let it trouble you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Paul Tournier, the uh, famous Swiss psychologist, wrote a book called A Place for You that's based on this chapter, Jesus' teachings. And in that book, he says, if you were a child that knew a secure home, then almost anywhere you go, and doesn't matter where your abode is, you will always feel at home. But if you've never connected with a place called home on a heart level, it doesn't matter where you go, you're never going to feel secure and loved and accepted. You see what he's saying? If they were able to connect with the power of place, if they kept their vision on heaven, they could go out on their missionary journeys, become apostles for Jesus, take the gospel into the darkness of this world, and wherever they went, they would be home. Because God would be with them. Isn't that what Paul says in Philippians 3:20? He says, "But our citizenship is now in heaven. He kept his gaze on heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes for us. Isn't that what Jesus is trying to say? They're about to become apostles, sent ones, into a dark world with a lot of dangerous things in front of them, and he's saying, "But you keep your eyes on heaven." And see, this is what that does for us. If the worst thing possible happens and they die, then that's the best thing that could possibly happen because they're now going to be with Jesus. They now get to go to the Father's mansion. Isn't that why we read this at funerals? If the worst thing possible happens, the best thing possible happens. We get to see our Lord. Now, for us going through this coronavirus, this COVID-19, that's a word for us as well. If the worst thing possible were to happen to you, it would, in fact, be the best thing possible that could happen to you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the power of place, the power of plan. Look at this, verses 4 to 6. And you know where, the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Get that. The very minute you place your faith in Jesus, believe in God, believe also in me. The moment that happens, all of this is yours. It's already ready. He's already got it prepared. A place uniquely fitted just for you in the Father's mansion. And it's a gift of grace. You don't have to earn it or work for it. He's prepared it for you. And that's why we can sing that old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the power of plan. Jesus lived that perfect life in perfect obedience to the moral law of God that we could not live. He did that for us. And his righteousness and his holiness, it gets credited to our account So our spiritual bank account is full of grace. And when God the Father looks down on our lives, he sees the blessed holiness of his son Jesus. I'm going away, I've done this, I've lived that perfect life. Now I've got to die the perfect death on the cross, I'm going away, Jesus says. And that death on the cross atoned for our sins. He died the death that we deserve to die. His crown was a crown of thorns. He endured separation from the Father. Think of that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very thing that we ought to have to suffer, He suffered for us. He was forsaken that we might be brought near to God. He was cut off from God that we might be acceptable to the Father. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Don't forget it. Hold on to it. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the power of prayer. Last one. Jesus finally consoles them with prayer. Look at verse 12 to 14. He said, I'm sending you out on this mission, okay? There will be some obstacles in your way. There are going to be giants too big for you to slay. But here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You're going to be my apostles. You're going to do my works. And greater works than these will you do, because I'm going to the Father. He's going to be our mediator and our advocate right at the Father's heart so that anything we pray in Jesus' name goes directly to the heart of a loving Father in heaven, the one who created everything that there is. The loving Father of the universe is just waiting to hear your prayers and to answer them. Any giant too large to slay any obstacle too big to move. Look at the promise. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So they got the power of the mission. But the power behind the mission is the power of prayer. I'm going to be your mediator. I'm going to be your, my, your advocate. Ask me anything anything about the missional journey that I'm sending you on, and I will be right there with you. Be right there with you. Jesus is ready to remove the obstacles in our lives as well, to tear down the mountains for us, to slay the giants for us, to come to the aid of his children. He longs to do that. Anything we pray in his name, in godly union with the will of the Father, he will come and do for us. You know, there's a Pew Research Institute um, that studied over 40,000 people who felt uh, they asked them uh, questions that led them to understand how closely they were uh, to God, how mature they were in faith. 79% of those closest to God prayed daily in a regular routine. Also, those same 79% of people who prayed daily had a much higher sense of spiritual peace and well-being in their lives. And I only say that because prayer is power. There is a direct correlation between people who pray and those whose hearts do not become troubled when troubled waters surround them. People who pray do not have troubled hearts when troubled water surrounds them. So, take these things home. Apply them to your life, especially in the unknown in which we find ourselves now. If the worst comes to you, Jesus has a place for you. It's the power of place. And if the worst thing possible happened and you were to die, it would be the best thing possible because you'd be with Jesus. The power of plan. Jesus is our plan. You can have blessed assurance. The moment you say, I believe in Christ and I believe in his father's, Uh, love for me then he becomes our way our truth and our life and remember the power of prayer during this uh, pandemic seven weeks ago when we weren't able to meet together my heart was grieved that Sunday when we had an empty church and hopefully we'll remedy that soon but my heart still grieves every time we have a service without our beloved congregation I don't think that I could have made it through this time and kept any sense of sanity if it weren't for the power of prayer. So whatever you're going through right now, do not let your hearts be troubled. He is our mediator. He's our advocate. Apply the power of prayer. The power of place, the power of plan, the power of prayer. To God be the glory, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.